like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And I was worried for a second that I was going to say the wrong show, but um, <laughs> I nailed it. So we are uh, we are coming at you tonight. Um, the third movie of uh, The Truth is Out There Month, June 2020. And we are going to be talking about Ava DuVernay's 13th, the Netflix original documentary that is super relevant right now. Uh, not the only reason we watch it. I've actually seen this film before. Corey has not. Um, it has a... We'll get into all the stats and stuff in a little bit, but before we get into that, if you've ever, uh, if you're new to the podcast, sorry, um, we'd like to real quick kind of show you the framework. We like to watch uh, one new movie that one of us has never seen, uh, in this case, just Corey, but um, a lot of times it is a movie that neither of us have ever seen to make sure that we start knocking off our giant gap list because there's just so many movies out there that we have not seen and for a long time, Corey and I were very, very guilty of just watching like the same hundred movies over and over and over and over. So this uh, podcast has been a way of making sure we're expanding our horizons. Um, and documentaries is an area that I think Corey is not super big on, right? Right. And I wasn't for a long time. Like, uh, it's been the last five years I've watched way more documentaries than I have previously. I still don't watch nearly as many as I think I should, and I'm. I'm rarely disappointed with documentaries. That's the the craziest part is like, that's all the more reason I should be watching a lot more of them. Um, I think I've seen far fewer bad docs than I've seen good. Uh, that to be fair, I've been very selective with what I've watched, but there's still a bunch out there that I've heard great things about. I just haven't seen it, but um, that's the point of this month. Uh, but before we get into our discussion of 13th, um, which will start spoiler free and then get into spoilers, Corey and I like to uh, catch up and see what else we've been watching since the last time we recorded. So, Corey, how you doing? You know, I'm doing fine. It's Friday. I made it through the week. Didn't know if that was going to happen. It was a little rough, but here we are. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Not very exciting. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I uh, beat... Um, I've been playing some video games, trying to like knock out some of the games I've been missing. And also it's like kind of good stress relief, especially being stuck at home. Um, and also sometimes a big stress inducer, uh, as is the case with the two games I've been playing back and forth um, the most, which is uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, um, which is super challenging, but I did finally beat uh, the other day. So that was good. Um, in fact, I'm getting a series of messages from uh, the editor of Burke Reviews, who he is trying to beat the game right now and is struggling with the boss. Um, and he keeps messaging me and it's just, it's distracting me for a second. Um, but uh, then I've been playing Resident Evil 2 and that game just is a nightmare. But uh, Corey, I just found this. I, well, it's it's been out for a while, but I didn't know what it was until recently. And it's called Until Dark. It's a pl PlayStation 4, uh, 4 exclusive. And I started it um, yesterday. It's really cool because uh, I played this game called Detroit Become Human. I think I talked about it oh, with yeah. you. Um, it's similar to that where like you have scenarios and you have choices. And depending on what choices you make will determine how the game plays out for the rest of it. Like characters can die because of choices you make, right? Yes. And it's a horror setting. So you're in like a, a cabin in the woods kind of thing. Not like cabin in the woods, but like it's this cabin. 
and you play through a ver- like you move back and forth between like eight different characters and there's a- something going on i i'm one i don't know what when it would be considered a spoiler to say what and two it seems like there could be multiple things going on and i'm not sure if some of them are red herrings or not yet because i'm kind of early in the game and it's so cool because it feels like a horror thing where like um there's a moments in the game where it cuts away from the the cabin and it it's like a character talking directly to you but there is like a um you can't see who you are like you this is the only time it's like full first person like you see your hands but they're wearing gloves even so you don't know if you're a guy or girl um and you seem to be sitting in a chair at a desk and he's like giving you like a psychological evaluation that you're answering which is supposedly affecting the way the game is played like the first thing is like oh. what scares you more clowns or scarecrows and so i'm like uh I don't know what I want to say to that question. uh, (laughs) Right? Scarecrows. It is scarecrows. It's totally scarecrows. Um, And, uh, but it's so like, and then when it goes to go back to the cabin, it does like a a soap opera, like last time on until dark and like recaps. It's really cool. I'm having a blast playing it. And there are so many jump scares and they're all like fake right now. Cause it's so, I'm still really early in the game. Like, like, things jump out at you and you're just like you're you're immersed in the game because you're the one exploring but i've i've been having a blast playing this um it's it's a lot of fun and then it's got tons of replay value because different answer. supposedly there's a bunch of different ways the game can play out you know like if you <gasps> went this route or this way it's so like, I, I, oh it's like the it's, choose your own adventure it, that's exactly how i tell people this game is it's the choose your own adventure game and I love those. Uh, I haven't. Apparently, there's a whole subgenre of games that I'd missed, and I, oh. I bought three of them because Until Dark's like ten bucks now. You can find it on oh. Amazon. Um, there's one called Hidden Agenda, which would be really cool if I had friends, um, like <laughs> that could come over uh, to be more accurate because <laughs> it has a friend. it has a companion app um, that you put on your phone, right? And uh, there's a competitive mode. So it's up to six people. Each person has their phone with the app on it, right? And then you have the game on the TV. One of the six people is the killer. Mm. And it's like a murder mystery game, like, but played like virtually yeah. and stuff. So it sounds really cool uh, if you had people play, but it also has a single player mode, which is what I'm going to play. That was 10 bucks. And then um, I can't, I keep forgetting the name of the third game, but there's another one that's very similar. Um, these choose your own adventure type horror slash type games. And I, I'm just having a blast with it. <sighs> Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, I had to do some stuff at work, um, yearbook meeting this week. Uh, we're getting, we're starting to plan and prep for next year, uh, which we have no idea what that's going to look like yet because we might be starting at least partially online. Oh. Um, which means like, I'm like, what do I take pictures of? It's going to be weird, but. And before we get into what we've been watching, I do think it's worth talking, um, earlier this week, theater chains have started announcing their plans to reopen. Uh, to I am I am very pleased at the uh, large majority of people who were not content with the safety uh, list of things because Regal posted theirs and they said that employees and customers would have to wear masks where required by local governance. So like if mm. your state with like my state was like eh, whatever, um, then they wouldn't require it. And I was like, that's not good enough for me um, because I, I, to be fair, some of the count, like my governor does not seem to give a crap about coronavirus anymore. Oh no. Some of the, the, the local governments like Tampa and Pinellas, I think have shut down, like they've made it a requirement to wear masks. Oh, um, nice. And 
Polk County has not yet, but I'm hoping that maybe they will. But um, Regal posted today that uh, all employees and customers must wear masks now. So they've, they've clearly heard the, the people were not okay with that. AMC did the same thing. They came out and initially said, no, we're not requiring it. You can if you want, but we're not requiring it. They have backpedaled and now they are requiring masks. And then the great Alamo Draft House, which is nowhere near me, but I wish, they, I wish, wish, wish they were. They they said what is crap but logical, and so they were still right. But they said uh, you, masks are mandatory unless you're eating or drinking, and you're like, true. And of course, my big concern is there is no way they're going to be able to police people wearing masks in the movies. Yeah, once like, the lights go down. Once the lights go down, exactly. Uh, so it's still a fear. Um, it's still not like, but I at least appreciate them saying you have to. And I hope that people are like me and will at least try to adhere to the rules. Um, cause I do think you can eat popcorn just by barely lifting your mask. Like, I don't feel like you got to shove a handful in your mouth. You can just do one. Cr- be, be, but I love cr- almost dying every time I get a handful of popcorn. I have missed but, movie theater popcorn, but Regal, our theater of a choice, um, is going to Pepsi. Yes. So... I am not going to say what I'm probably going to do, but I'm not buying Pepsi, so <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not buying I, Pepsi. <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious to see if we will, um, if they will even have popcorn because they are, all of the chains are saying limited menu Word. and it's not that popcorn itself, I think is bad as far as like, once it's in the packaging, I think you're okay, but it sits in a big open container where like feels like it could be a germ hybrid like you know like not hybrid but a germ uh hot spot kind of thing you know like where if someone coughed towards the popcorn that whole batch is contaminated will they dump the entire batch you know what i'm saying like uh it seems a little sketchier um like unless they do like pre-packages because like i don't know if you've been to any uh restaurants or anything but like most restaurants that have salad bars for example um, have closed those down or have done to like individually packaged salads already ready to go. And I've heard that uh, the Golden Corral, which is a buffet, um, is doing uh, more like old school cafeteria style where like they have people uh, who will give you the food that you don't serve it yourself on your plate anymore mm. um, because, you know, hazards and, and germs and whatnot. So um, I've not been, but I, I've, I've heard from people who have, uh, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't go to a buffet at this point in my life anyways, because trying not to eat a lot of excess bad food, um, but also like because of COVID, like, so two reasons why I will not be in a buffet anytime soon, but, um, you know, like we're, I want to talk about COVID for a minute. Yeah. So they've like pretty much reopened everything in Boise, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. uh, and now a lot of the bars downtown are like reclosing or their employees are testing positive what a shock or they have like eight instances eight people who test positive who went to these four bars on friday night and i just don't i just uh, i'm staying home like i just don't understand why this is even i just well, Bill's I mean, birthday. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was like, to address your question, though, it's it's the, an issue because a lot of our government right now doesn't seem to be acting like it's something we should be worried about. And to do they be have fair, a fair? Yeah. Well, to be fair, 
the there is some truth to some of the claims about like who is dying and whatnot but that it's still that the the spread of the virus is the concern because like people it's not like people are saying oh those are dying can die but it is people saying like well i'm not the in the demographic who is most at risk but what they're not getting is that how easy this can spread because the worst case is you already have it and you don't have symptoms and yet you can spread it and you acting like you're you're okay but then you give it to someone who goes home and their elderly parents live with them and now you've doomed them you know that's the inconsiderate part that is driving me really insane and more the bigger concern is not just getting the virus and dying from it. Like you might get the virus, you might get the symptoms, you might be so sick that you take a hospital bed. And if we run out of hospital beds, then any other problems that we run into are not going to have a space. And that's the biggest concern. I think Uh, like you might recover from Corona, even though people are acting like that's like, Oh, it's no big deal. We'll recover. It's like, have you seen what it is to be on a ventilator? Like it is, not something like anybody wants to go, right? What did you say? I said you don't even like wearing a mask. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, like, imagine being in, in a hospital bed for, you know, 40 days uh, suffering because you wouldn't wear a mask to the freaking movie theater. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's so crazy to me. It's such a simple thing. And I'm not going to sit here and act like the masks aren't an inconvenience. Like, I wear glasses. It's hard to I, talk and breathe in them. It's, I have not had the issue with breathing. I've heard other people say that. I have an issue with talking, um, for sure. Especially uh, one of my my coworkers is a little hard of hearing, and mm. I didn't. I never thought about it, but he reads lips to help, and he <gasps> oh, can't read yeah. lips. So, like, mm-hmm. if, if you're deaf right now, this is a nightmare. You have no way of communicating if the people don't know sign language. Um, but so, but the breathing thing, uh, for sure. My glasses fog up. It's it's super, and it's random too. Like it'll be like fine, fine, fine. Now they're fogging, and I'm like, what's happening? Um, my, it surprised, the biggest surprise was how much the freaking bands hurt my ears. Like, I would have never thought like the little bands would be like such a nuisance on my ears. But when I take it off, I'm like in pain, but I don't care. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's a little inconvenience to avoid one, my own potential health issues, but two, like spreading this and make and getting someone sick. Like I just, I know listeners, this is not a, sh- a health show, but this does affect everybody. And it, it's, it's really affecting me in little ways. Like, because we can't get this under control, things that I love are getting more and more delayed. And I know that's selfish to bring that up, but it, it, if you're going to like tie it, why are we talking about it? It's because it is affecting you. Like, well, the only things that it's not affecting are restaurants and like, just like some stores but so some some restaurants i don't want to get takeout i would much rather be there yeah and so i've i've and again that's a, it's trust me i know this is a small problem and i'm not i'm not advocating that we rush back because i miss those things i'm pointing out it's okay that we don't get the all the comforts that we're used to if we can save lives if we can make sure that hospitals are not under you know or are overcrowded and under um equipped because we are acting dumb like that's the thing like people are like oh it was fine it was fine because we took action it wasn't fine because we didn't take action effect yeah right but they're ignoring that and that's like those i mean obviously there's a lot of people who are not ignoring this let's not act like everybody's 
you know, but it doesn't take, you know, everybody not doing it. It takes a big enough percentage to cause it to spread more and then that will spread and then that will spread and so on and so forth. Um, it, it is not over and you know, man, so worried. I don't know how it is there, but I, Bill and I have been doing grocery pickup and like, we just don't really leave our house a lot. Um, and the only businesses I've gone to for fun are ones that have like a limited capacity on their shops make you either wear gloves or clean your hands and wear a mask like otherwise no thanks and it i had to stop at the grocery store and i had to go to the grocery store the other day because when we did our grocery pickup they didn't have things that i ordered that i kind of needed so it's just killing me when i have to go to these places and there are all these people who have all these tiny babies and tiny kids and no masks first of all if I had kids, they'd just be at home, probably, or at least wearing a mask. Like, I don't know. They're so little. Yeah. Uh, well, and again, there's the myth that children were immune that started at the very beginning, which has been disproven. Yeah. They may not have the same symptoms, but they do have the potential to get the virus. They can still spread the virus. And there is a, uh, I forget the name of the syndrome that they saw, but it was like a side effect of the virus that was happening within kids. Uh, so yeah kids not safe uh, from it either um but yeah you know it's 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 crazy times and hopefully uh it will we'll get a vaccine and people will actually take the vaccine because i do have that fear as well yeah um, i'll have to i work for a hospital but yeah and i, I work at home <laughs> because of the kids that i work with um but like and that's the thing like I know it's so funny for so many years, I think every person on the planet has made a joke. Like, I wish I could work from home or I wish, you know, that like I could be off from work for so long. Yeah. I will never make that joke again. Like, Oh, I love working from home. There you, there you go. But I, I guess my job is different. Isn't fun. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah. I, I like being with my students. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a different environment. Even more, like, teaching film is very complex online because I can't show a movie. <laughs> well, I'll say that I enjoy – I would much rather take an in-person class when I've taken classes than to do online classes because I just learned better that way too. Yeah, it's not for everybody. Uh, online learning requires a very specific type of student um, that is, uh, one – very very good with time management um time management is like the most important thing with <laughs> the online worst. learning. um but yeah uh we we should probably at least get into what we've been watching um nah. uh i haven't been watching too much um did i tell you i started gilmore girls yes i like the crap out of this show uh have you seen it Mm-mm. you gotta give it a chance listen first of all um there's there Melissa McCarthy is uh the the chef at the inn that Lorelai works at, and it is the best Melissa McCarthy. Like she is sweet, she's funny, uh she's not trying too hard. She's actually very wholesome, which sometimes I feel like she tries to go too blue in some of the movies where she's just like, what's the worst raunchiest thing I could say? Similar to what Rebel Wilson does, and like I don't know if she's under control here or if maybe she was uh she's too new for the, like to her to just go full improv or whatever, um. But man, I really like her on this show. Uh, it, it's just, it's so charming. And um, and there was a, like, some episodes are hitting like like life experiences for me pretty hard because 
uh, Lorelai is 36 and has a 16 year old daughter. Ugh. Um, she, well, I guess that's wrong. I guess she's 32 because she, she had her when she was 16. So yeah, she's 32. What? And that's part of the show is that she, so Lorelai gets pregnant as, you know, high school kids get pregnant. It happens a lot. Yeah. There's a whole freaking series on MTV about it. Um, so she got pregnant when she was in high school now but we're with her as an adult and now her kid is 16 so now she has like her own anxieties about like Ew. is she gonna make my mistakes you know that kind of but it's not it's got like a wholesome vibe to it so it's not like it's not going for like all the drama it's pre-cw it's more like wb time where it was like edgy but not too edgy like there's always going to be that kind of like moral fiber or like old school kind of Walton's vibe, like everyone in the town knows everyone kind of thing, you know? So like, Sounds it's more terrifying. like the entire town is like raising her kind of like there's um, no, but it's, I don't know. It's super charming. Um, and I like it a lot. And she's addicted to coffee, which I relate to. So um, I've, I've watched a few episodes of that. Uh, I'm only, I'm still like on season one. So I'm like acting like it's the best show. And I've only seen like 10 episodes. But, <laughs> but I, I feel like it. if you're liking something that early on, you know, that, yeah. There's got to be something yes. there. Because how many shows suck with their first season? Like, yes. like any fan of The Office or, is like, yeah, yeah, don't watch season one. Like, Parks and Rec, don't watch season one. You just jump okay, right into season I watched two. season one. I've yeah, watched it like six good. times. It's not good, though. It is, it, is, it is inherently not good compared to the rest of the show. And I've also rewatched season one of Parks and Rec at least twice. But it's not good. It, it's, uh, it is a parody of The Office for the first season. Until they finally find like their own footage and they start yeah. to develop their own thing, um, but uh, and then I've been um, I already mentioned games I've been playing. I've watched a few movies. I'll knock these out real quick. I watched Spike Lee's new film, The Five Bloods. Uh, Matt and I just did a podcast episode about that for the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast, which we have switched from a monthly format to a now weekly format. What? Um, Matt and I have committed to doing uh, one episode a week um, with one movie instead of several movies um and of some segments so we do uh like headlines from like the week and we discuss the headlines we only bring like one or two headlines each and then uh the other person has not read the article so we kind of inform them and we have a conversation about it. it's been fun always like pop culture movie related um we talk about what we've been watching uh but actually it's not what we've been watching it's pop culture consumption so it's all things pop culture and uh and then we end the show with how we stay bloody awesome what we've been doing to try to stay bloody awesome um, sometimes it's health stuff. Sometimes it's like, you know, learning something new, whatever. Um, but, uh, so that's part of the reason I watched the five bloods that, and I am a fan of Spike Lee and I'm working through his filmography. Um, which is why I watched Mo Better Blues from 1990. Another Spike Lee film, mm. uh, stars. I didn't know. I knew Denzel was in it, but, uh, Wesley Snipes is also in it. And I'm a oh. big fan of Wesley and I had no idea they'd work together. Um, it's a really good movie. Um, it's Spike Lee starts to really develop a, some of his visual style more from uh, uh, Do the Right Thing the year the year or two before, um, but worth watching. Uh, I I listen to a new podcast. IMDb has their own podcast now, um, and it's a uh, I forgot what it's called. It's like movies that movies that changed my life. That's what it's called, and um, they've had I think five episodes. And uh, Joe McHale I think was episode two. Uh, Clint Wright was episode one. Um, and Kevin Smith was episode four and I'm, you know, big Kevin Smith fan. So I listened to that episode and, uh, it made me want to watch clerks. So I rewatched clerks for like, I don't know, the millionth time I've seen that movie a lot. Um, I love that movie. I actually, I think it holds up. 
I think it it has some problems uh, in terms of like if you've never seen it before and you're not thinking that it's from 1994, some of the things that are in it are definitely not as accepted in today's time. And at the other other parts, he's a little progressive uh, for 1994, to be honest. Like he's definitely ahead of the curve with accepting people for what they are. Um, watch the movie that we're going to be talking about momentarily. And then today I watched uh, Bessie, uh, which is on the oh. Slate's uh, 50 black film canon list. Um, it was an HBO original film uh, starring Queen Latifah um, playing. Uh, she is a biopic about Bessie Smith, a legendary blues performer from the 20s and 30s. Um, and then it has a lot of uh, good cast. Monique is in it. Mike Epps. Um, I'm trying to. There was somebody else who I really liked. Oliver Platt's in it for like two seconds. He doesn't. His name is way too highly billed. Um, I think Michael Kenneth Williams is one of the other big ones. Uh, Charles S. Dutton. Um, it's pretty good. Queen Latifah is really good in it, and the scenes that Monique gets, she's not in it as much as I would have preferred. I'm a I'm a fan of Monique. My wife loves Monique, so I've seen a lot of her stuff. Um, I tend to like her, and uh, I like her in that. So it was it was a good movie. It wasn't, it didn't pull me in as much as it could have, but it was very insightful in to a world I knew very little about the uh, the traveling blues scene of the 20s and 30s, especially uh, because of the racism still rampant in the South. Um, some crazy stuff happens in the movie, but it was, it's pretty interesting and it's definitely, it moves quickly. Um, and that's it. That's what I've been watching. What about you, Corey? Okay. Um, still watching Nightmare Next Door. Um, I started rewatching Tales from the Crypt, so I started on season one. Um, I watched that like a million times too. Forgot though that season one, it only has like six or seven episodes or something like that. And it's not my favorite. So that would be a good one for me to start on season two. Um, rewatched Inception, which I had only watched the one time in theaters. Also love Killian Murphy. I'm going to say that every chance I get a chance. Anything, I wish I saw every that time in theaters. I got a chance. Um, and then I watched 12 Monkeys, which wasn't my favorite. I'm waiting really? for You've people to throw rocks at me. Well, I've seen parts of it. My dad watched it. My dad loved Bruce Willis. I do too. Uh, so I, I, I really have a hard time saying like now because he's awful right now. Even though he seems to be trying really hard on social media to like win some people back. Um, but yeah, I, I, I obviously I'm a big Hudson Hawk fan, which is something that many people laugh at. And then. Um, I feel like people yeah. need to calm down. That was not as bad as I was expecting. <laughs> right, right. I, uh, most people haven't watched it. It's it's silly, and it's trying to be silly. Like, I feel like it's doing what it wants to do. Um, but um, I, I I like 12 Monkeys a lot, actually. Uh, we just we did a Bampocalypse episode not too long ago um, on, on that movie, and uh, we didn't realize um, when we had picked it, because we just, like, pulled a list of, like, an, an, apocalyptic films or isolation or things like that. And or dystopian, um, which is really more accurate. Well, it's kind of both it's apocalyptic and dystopian, but um, we didn't realize it was Terry Gilliam, uh, who also directed Brazil, which we watched uh, for Vampocalypse, and is uh, most known for Monty Python. Um, he's involved in every aspect of Monty Python. He's a very contentious director. Um, you tend to either really click with him or not. Uh, Matt and I, it's weird because Matt and I both didn't love Brazil but both love 12 monkeys. Uh, so, you know, again, I think we had both seen 12 monkeys before. I do think that movie pays off for multiple viewings because the mm. structure of the narrative is a little complex. And there, it, 
Yeah, there's a lot going on. There is. And, and just how he gives you the information is purposely uh, fra- fragmented um, to be confusing. And it's it's all revealed, but if you're if you forgot something or if you got distracted for half a second, you can totally miss something and it, it may lessen the impact the movie's having. But Brad Pitt in that movie is so good. Um, absolutely love him in that. I don't know. His mania was like kind of make me anxious. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's supposed to. Yeah. I just didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I don't need help with that. Thank you. Which that is a, <laughs> what we've learned over the last five years of doing this podcast uh that you you definitely you you turn to film more for escapism and if a movie doesn't make you uh not always there's exceptions to that but um because like green room stresses you out but you like that movie yeah that was um joel McHale uh on his movies that changed my life that was one of his movies green room was nice i was very excited about that i I think yes Everyone, okay, so first of all, I retweeted one of Jeremy Saulnier's uh, photos today that was the whole cast, or well, you know, like the main cast, I guess, of Green Room, and uh, it looked like it was at an award ceremony or something, but like, Anton's in the middle, and I think that more people need to talk about Jeremy Saulnier. I feel like, I just feel like not enough people know him, and also Green Room, I just feel like that movie was so great and i remember being one of two people in the theater i mean which was mm-hmm. great because i said the f word like 12 times out loud like holy heck but i just i don't know i feel like he just is underappreciated and we still need to make those saunier all day shirts i feel like he would be I'm behind in. that <laughs> i'm in he liked it when i tweeted about it or i said something about it jeremy saunier liked one of my tweets guys so i can't really go any you know there's no going up from there (laughs) (laughs) we can get him on the podcast uh maybe but um what is there anything else you've been watching um no 12 monkeys and that was where we left off yeah no that was it and then this movie or documentary i i want to watch more movies I, i my week's been getting like just where i can't um and like i'll mean to and then also again i've been playing video games and that does take away from movie time because i'm like well i really want to play this game then. um but nevertheless uh that is what we've been watching um we will be right back after this sponsor to discuss our uh the film 13th and we're back so uh 13th came out in 2016 um Directed by Ava DuVernay, uh, most notable for her film Selma, and the uh, often reviled, um, oh, I just had the name of it, A Wrinkle in Time. I like Wrinkle in Time. I I didn't think it was the best movie. I did not understand why people hated it so much, but um, I really like her as a director. I've seen, I think, the three films uh, that I just listed, but I I think that's pretty much it. Uh, She's still, we're waiting to see what's, what's next from her. Um, this documentary is an in-depth look at the prison system in the U.S. Uh, and specifically centered around the 13th Amendment and how it both uh, helps to change the course of America history, but also allows some loopholes uh, to keep slavery intact. Um, it has an 83 Metascore. Uh, well, they moved it. The IMDb uh, oh, user yeah. score is 8.2. I was like, where, where did it go? Um, 
it's usually right next to the Metascore. But uh, I was like, there's no way it doesn't have one. Um, so this, uh, I saw this, I, I want to say like two years ago. Um, it may have even, it wasn't 2016. I think I waited till like 2017 to watch it. But um, I, I was floored by this documentary when I saw it for the first time. I didn't know a lot of it. Um, I, I definitely uh, learned some very scary facts about this and i think it helped um with the current thing that's going on the current black lives matter movement um i felt i feel a lot more confident picking my stance um i would have picked a stance the same stance regardless but i feel like i knew things this time and a lot of it i had uh, the conversation started for me with this film it opened my eyes to things that i had not known previously and why i I think this is uh one it is on the black film canon list from slate but two is that it is so well structured and honestly for like a documentary um most documentaries have talking heads the cinematography during the talking head scenes is so good um i like it so much i she she uses these really wide shots where you just see the whole room and then she'll get in close uh they're like this kind of voyeuristic cameras where it's like you're off to the side kind of watching this person having an interview um, I, I, I really like that whole structure and then the, the footage, the use of music. I love the title cards that will like introduce, uh, some of the, sometimes they're like the lyrics from the songs. Um, I, I love the soundtrack to this movie. Um, I, I really, really enjoy this film. It's, it's, uh, as far as it just being a watchable documentary, it's way up there. But as far as like the content and what it's informing you about, I also felt it was, um, I, I can, I always feel like there's going to be any documentary you're going to have people who counter that you, well, this is, they're leaving this out or they're not including this. And I'm sure there's probably tons of arguments for that. I've not read, I've not done any side information, um, but because it, it is presented in such a way that feels so researched and so accurate. That's my, my first impressions of 13th. I've seen it before though. Corey, what were your thoughts? I totally agree with everything that you say said um i feel like uh, sometimes documentaries are really boring but or even just have that i don't know like (laughs) assumption about them i guess okay so you know they just it just feels like it's gonna i don't know just the whole idea of documentaries but um i I'm very interested in the criminal justice since criminal injustice system. Um, oh. And like uh, I've been interested in a while with how um, race and um, like class plays into that. And I really did enjoy the information that was being presented here. Um, I did think that, the visuals were very interesting and there's nothing still about this documentary which i really enjoyed too even with like the title cards or like you said with the um lyrics of the songs coming on the screen everything is about movement it i just enjoyed that too so yeah and um oh good I also wanted to say that this wasn't planned because I'm not that organized, but today is Juneteenth. It is. Um, 
which I I think it's going next year. The the talk is that next year this will be a national holiday, um, a federal holiday, and finally uh, be celebrated like it should have been. Um, I do think that it's such an important holiday that I literally did not know about and feel awful for not knowing about it, especially I do I blame living so in the South. Ignorant. Yeah. Like, and I don't know about you, but I didn't take, I was a science major and now I switched to a communications major and I think I was required to take one American history class and mm. we didn't learn about this kind of stuff. And I definitely didn't learn about it in like my you know k through 12 you know education yeah well i i tried to be good at history i i am a good student normally history especially not film history film history i'm i'm in i'm on board regular history and maybe it's i didn't have teachers that were engaging i definitely i remember specifically i had one class that was go to your desk, take out your book, read for the hour and then answer the questions. And I often fell asleep in that class. Like not, not encouraging that behavior, especially if my students are listening, don't sleep in my class, but I'm engaging. I'm up, I'm teaching. The dude was literally sitting at his desk and then we were sitting at our desk and we were supposed to be reading and answering questions for 90 minutes. And I would fall asleep and I didn't read. I, I not, I'm still not, I can read. I don't want to put it out there that I can't read. But reading for me is is a chore, especially if I don't oh. like what I'm reading. So um, history, not not my cup of tea normally. I, I've come around on it as an adult. But I, I feel like that's true of all of my education. I definitely value learning much more as a, a 37-year-old teacher than I did as a 15, 16-year-old student. Um, but uh, I, have, I have befriended two amazing history teachers that I've worked with. Um, and I rely on them for a lot of my information. Um, and uh, now they like it used to be where I would ask them for things and they would tell me what I needed to know. And now it's more like they're guiding me towards stuff and I'm doing the research on my own. Um, they still give me things, too. But like that, that's we've we've got a group chat and a lot of a lot of great information comes into that um, and fun. We're, we're similar people, but uh, they like history and I, I am liking history, but. I, I it's again I also think if they had been my history teachers probably would have enjoyed history a lot more because they are way more interactive as uh teachers but um but yeah this film does a great job of introducing uh history I think the like because we kind of move through the uh, from the, the time slaves are freed uh to now um the movie covers that whole that whole span of time and it feels like that well that's going to take days and it's only an hour and 40 minutes um, and I don't feel like it never feels like they're rushing through things. It feels so organic. I really enjoyed all the different people that they interviewed also. Which I was really excited because I'm watching this, right? And I've Angela seen this Davis. before. What? <laughs> I said Angela Davis. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But uh, Brian Stevenson was the one that grabbed me um, because I'm like, I'm looking at him. I'm like, that guy looks familiar. And they said Brian Stevenson. I'm like, hold up. That's the guy Michael B. Jordan plays in Just Mercy. Oh, I want to see that so bad. I need to just watch it. Well, it's free right now, like on almost everything. It's been free on a bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, he's one. He talks a lot in this, and like I didn't know him when I saw it the first time. I'm very much aware of who he is now because I've seen the movie. Um, 
and talk about uh, an upgrade. No offense, Brian Stevenson is not a bad looking dude, but like Michael B. Jordan is Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan does not look like Brian Stevenson. He looks like Michael B. Jordan. Like it is an upgrade. Like I, I made some comments about Taron Edgerton playing Elton John. Like talk about an upgrade, but um, but Stevenson got again. Stevenson's not a bad looking dude. I'm not, and Elton John wasn't in his day either. But Taron Edgerton is way. Oh, way I think that. I was just telling Bill the other day that I think that Elton John was so handsome when he was younger, like 70s, 80s. Yes, so handsome. I I know him from 90s and past, and he's he seems like, you know, not not a bad looking dude, but also not Taron Edgerton, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that, but, um, but, uh. I was, I was like, I was like, oh, I know him now, and that was kind of a cool context change for me because when I saw this the first time, knew nothing about Brian Stevenson, and now I'm, I'm very versed on who he is um, through a, a, a movie, of course, because that is my number one way of learning things. But um, yeah, I agree. All the interviews, all the talking heads are really good. Um, I like even uh, sometimes she doesn't tell us who they are immediately yeah. like we and others we learn right away and it kind of depends on how much they're saying or the impact of what they're saying versus like is it just kind of they're commenting on something or are they giving us the information do we need to know their credibility right now or will it be more impactful to learn who they are later when they have more to contribute to the conversation and um i would say everyone that speaks uh contributes in some way uh there is one talking head who is there i don't know if he knew that he was going to be used to make the like he he is the liar essentially <laughs> like we're being told information about something and then we hear his take on it that like, oh, guy I, I don't know anything. yeah i don't know if that he knew, guy like how bad he was going to come off <laughs> like i wonder oh. if, he, like, if, it, if they're like all right that's it and he's like well that felt great you know like, <laughs> oh my god probably I'm, it was I'm really so really sure. really great yeah, just great oh, people. Man. Sorry. Yeah. Of course, it is not an. It's at times this movie is not an easy watch because the the imagery it's going to confront you with is never going to be a simple one. Um, but it's again, it's that thing we can't, um, we can't keep choosing comfort over truth. Like just because something is hard to look at or hard to watch, which is why I will finally be watching Twelve Years a Slave. Um, as much as I've avoided watching it, knowing that I won. I don't agree with slavery, and so I didn't feel like I needed to subject myself to watching how awful uh, people were. Um, it's on the the film canon list, obviously, not surprisingly, um, but also like it's I I feel like an obligation to watch it. Um, Everyone is great in that movie. Like Michael Fassbender plays. Oh my god! Yeah, like if I've, I could have. That's I've seen a lot of the worst parts of the movie too. Like mm-hmm. not bad as in like. Not worse as in like bad quality, but like the worst nobody wants to watch type scenes, um, including there's a clip in this in Thirteenth uh, that is pretty awful. Like not again, absolutely awful vile. because yeah, that's a better way of saying it. absolutely vile. It is not something you want to see, um, and it's again Michael Fassbender. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a great some, actor. He oh he is he is. What has and, happened to him? <laughs> like you're so good. What are you doing? Oh. I've Are we saying because he's done some bad movies, or because yeah, he's kind of, ah. well, he did some bad movies, and then he stopped because he. I think he said he was going to supposedly be directing, but it's been some years. I don't know. He was like driving race cars or something. 
but he's kind of fallen off the face of the planet. Uh, yeah, I guess the last couple of movies were not so good. I like Alien Covenant. A lot of people didn't. Um, Dark Phoenix was one of the worst films of last year. The Snowman, uh, where he plays Harry there, Hole. There was no way. Like, I tried to watch that movie. There's I no didn't. way that that wasn't a joke. Like, 20 minutes in, I was just like, I can't even do this. Yeah. Um, but he had Assassin's Fassbender. Creed in 2016. That was that was. Bad. I heard that wasn't good. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like I don't even. I I tried to but, watch the one, but the the light between oceans we both loved very much. <gasps> that was so good. That was in the mix of the bad. That was in 2016, uh, right before X Men Apocalypse. Um, but yeah, uh, not to deviate from the documentary too much, but yeah, Michael Fassbender. Um, all right. Uh, that's our spoiler-free part of 13th. We'll just, we probably won't do a lot of spoiler, um, but let's get into the spoiler section. Guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about the 13th in great detail. You have been warned. Alright, so I, I took a lot of notes. Um, like one of the things I love about this documentary is uh, there's a narrative structure where they start with the number of uh, people in prison. And then they kind of show you the increase over the years. And it goes from, um, I think the first one I took a note of is 1980, which I no, I swore I took a note of 1970, but I don't see it. Weird. But 1980, 357,000. And then by uh, 2014, 2 million, uh, almost 3 million, 2.7 million. Um, and that alone is part of the whole point of the documentary that's her through line is that the prison system has been systemically targeting african-american predominantly african-american males but african-americans in general um and the the scariest thing which uh if you want some other sources uh john oliver's the um this week tonight has covered the uh prof prison for profit at least one, I think twice. There's there's a whole segment just on that, but then I think there's another one that it ties into uh, that is alarming. When you think that prisons want people in them, that we they are making money on the number of convicts, that is a bad system. Yeah, for like a million different reasons, but it, we should not be profiting off of people getting arrested. Why Nobody should that be should somebody's profit. business? <laughs> right right that's someone's paycheck is that we need criminals because the whole point of the justice system is not supposed to be making criminals it's supposed to be preventing crime right the idea of a law is that if we say you do this you go to jail people won't do this thing because they don't want to go to jail that's clearly not working because we have so many people we have more people in prison than i think any other country i forget um, my my very intelligent history friend uh, has spouted some numbers at me recently that I wish I had written down, but I do Don't, not have them in front of me. I think that it was in the documentary that Ameri that the United States of America has five percent of the world's population, but we have twenty five percent of the population of people in prison out of the world. Right. I think. Right. Yeah, I think um, you are. I think that is correct. I I I like numbers. Like when, and for not like just thrown at me in a boring way, I thought she did a really good job with like presenting all this information and keeping it interesting. But I just loved her use of numbers in this and like the graphics, of course, but also that one in 17 white males will be 
in prison at some point, but one in three black males will be in prison. Well, in the the war on drugs um, that it was started with Richard Nixon targeting weed with hippies and uh, heroin with black men, um, and how they they made drugs illegal. And I love uh, you know Brian Stevenson points out, and this this film again was it was released in twenty sixteen which means it was probably filmed over the course of like 2014 to 20 early 2016, give or take. Um, and yet a lot of the issues that are brought up in this documentary from four years ago are what we're still protesting and fighting right now. And that is concerning, of course. Uh, one of those things being that um, those statistics, those numbers. And police brutality. Which isn't the focal point here. No, no. Like, this the, I would say 13th is not targeting the police, um, at, except that they are the enforcers of the unjust laws. Um, but they are a part, they are the, the, well, they are the arm of the laws, right? Like they're the ones who are actually the face and they're coming in and they're the ones who are looking to arrest people to fill the prisons who want to be filled so that the, their owners can make money, who uh, want to disenfranchise the black male and get them where they can't vote because if they can't vote, if voting is how we change who's in office and how we change laws, taking away the right to vote of any individual is how you start to shift and alter who can vote and thus what results you're going to get. Exactly. And that is what this documentary is really focused on in, in its end. And that's, what's so powerful is it, it is, um, it's a doc. Some documentaries are a narrative, like a traditional narrative. Like you have an arc, you have a person doing something. Like Free Solo is this dude's going to try to do this thing. It's just a true story. So it's a documentary because we're just filming this guy actually doing it. This is a more by the numbers. Like we're going to give you tons of information. We're going to have tons of interviews and tons of experts talking about this one thing. And yet she she is able to give you a structure where it does feel like there is a narrative arc. It does feel like there is a character. There isn't. There's not a single person whose story we're hearing, but it's the story of the black man in America predominantly and the, the strife and the struggle and like reminding you of things that you may have wanted to forget or maybe never were introduced to, depending on where you went to school and things of that that nature. And it's it's jaw-dropping and eye-opening at the same time um and it, and if if not i really i ask you to ask yourself why you know why why does this upset you in a different way if it doesn't upset you at the injustice that's being portrayed if it upsets you like if you're like oh this is all lies or black people don't have it so bad or whatever why do you feel that way like what is it that's making you not believe the victim? Because that's what this boils down to, right? Like, yeah. the black person in America, and yes, in this particular case, it is heavily black male, but it is black female as well. Um, well, it's have, affecting their whole community. You're all 100% right on that note. Um, even where their communities can be uh, is affected by a lot of this. Because, again, um, if you uh, have a criminal record, good luck getting a job. Yeah, and it was like... It, you, it's like, okay, so let me go back. Sorry, I have a hard time with words, everyone. Um, it, I did like hiring for a long time. And that box is, it was on every application of every job that I worked at that I can remember. And 
like when I started doing the hiring process, that was definitely something that's on the forum that you look for. But I never really understood, I guess, how deep or far the implications of that are. Uh, yeah. And also, like, not being able to vote. I don't understand why, if you don't have, a cr- like, a violent criminal history, why why you can't vote. Well, but even more, if the point of the prison system is to rehabilitate and release people back out into the world, then why are they still <laughs> being punished if they've served their time? Exactly. And we keep hearing that with the George Floyd murder, mm-hmm. that oh. he was a violent criminal or he That's even had whatever against women or all of this stuff. And it's like, and you're throwing the fact that he went to prison up in the same, the same like couple sentences. So he served us time. Well, and, and that's the action. The idea that a person is infallible and unable to make mistakes without, or, or you are a bad person is such a, a such a bad thing we've fallen into. People are afraid of failing because of that same mindset, but this is going to another extreme where once you have broken the law, you are deemed as bad as, you know, and that's, that's a whole other problem. That's not even the focus here. We're talking simply legal terms that a person has served their time. They've served their punishment yet. They continue to be punished. They continue to be disenfranchised after they have been punished. And it's like, well, at what point if they've served, if they've been in jail for five years, why can they still not vote? Well, isn't the whole point of prison supposed to be you've done wrong, thus you must serve your time. But while you are here, we will train you to re-enter society and be a functional part of it again. And that's not what prison is doing. And more so, uh, it seems like they don't want that. It seems like they want to find ways to to break you and put you into jail more. Um, it, it's like they want repeat offenders. It's like, well, they do. Because it's, yeah. it's, doesn't every McDonald's want repeat customers? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It, I don't, it's so not I, about rehabilitation. I, not, <laughs> not Especially not when the prison's for profit. And Mm-mm. more when, uh, you know, I, I, if you watched Orange is the New Black, um, which is a fictional TV series, but based on truth to a degree, because the, the actual person did go to jail for the reason she goes to jail in season one, but they definitely take tons and tons of liberties with that story. But more, I think it's season four or five, they become a privatized prison. That's when mm-hmm. Mike Birbiglia shows up, uh, which makes me happy because I'm a big Mike Birbiglia fan. Um, but they start making like underwear which i didn't know at the time but victoria's secret used prison labor for a while to make their underwear which is in essence slave labor because you are not paying those people the real wages that you would pay a normal employee in a warehouse so still charging five million bajillion dollars for your product so keep in mind listeners we're in a time right now where our unemployment rates are through the roof and somewhere in a prison is a person making some product, not Victoria's Secret anymore, because Victoria's Secret pulled out. Uh, so I don't know which companies are still using it, but there are companies who are still using prison labor to make their products. Um, and yet uh, they are get they are saving money. They're already a billion dollar company, probably a million dollar company, something you know who who has enough connections to do this. Um, they're getting cheap labor. I think there is some wages paid, but it is substantially less than minimum wage. Um, and they are not hiring you to do that job and you're sitting here suffering, probably going to have to end up buying product that was made by someone from like, it is a crazy 
disgusting system when you look at it from that lens and this documentary is again if you don't know these things it's it's a very interesting look at how shady the world it, that we live not even the world america is with how we've treated uh, our black individuals um and you know criminals in general because not every not every criminal is is a minority there are white criminals for sure um there are latino and asian and all all demographics but the targeting is is there it's blatant it's it's shown i know there are deniers and there's always going to be um i don't think we'll ever see uh 100 people and that's the george floyd killing initially when it first happened nobody seemed to be trying to defend the officer because there it's indefensible there's no way that like to defend it was to say you were racist essentially that was i think the only people i i heard was just like well and you're like okay this is finally something so heinous that it has cartified everybody's in this everyone's on the same page this is wrong this is not okay this is unacceptable and then like what you said a few weeks or not even a few like a week went by and people started doing that well who was he and that's victim shaming something that got heavily brought up during the Me Too movement uh, initiation uh, when it when it first started was we can't keep asking the girl what she was wearing when she's raped. We can't ask her if she was or drinking were you? What were you when doing? she was raped. We can't ask, did you say no? Because it's, it's wrong. We're making them on the defensive. We're questioning, did you do everything in your power not to get raped? And that's ridiculous. And by saying, well, he was a criminal and he did these things wrong is saying that he deserved to die because he'd done some bad things and nothing on his list dictates that he deserved to die and there are a few circumstances i think that we can say a person has forfeited their right to the the one life we are given and that's a big center of this the the dispute and i think what 13th the essence of what 13th is getting at is that people's lives are being taken even if not literally taken as in they're not dead what are our country's prison system when you are put into the system that way is essentially over and it's it's in some ways i guess it's worse because it's purgatory you're stuck and you're you're in limbo waiting for for hope that maybe something will change but i mean especially imagine getting a mandatory minimum sentence for marijuana 10 years ago and then the state legalizes marijuana and yet you're still serving time for a drug that now people can go out and buy at, you know. And this is not my my own idea, but I've seen posts about this recently that in a lot of cities and states, you know, dispensaries were considered, uh, you know, essential businesses now. And there are still people oh, that in is... prisons. That's yeah. not my idea. I've been reading so much stuff, guys. So much stuff. I can't even point you in the right direction of where I read that. But it's mm -hmm. so true. And yeah, just... <sighs> Again, we are not a political podcast. However, 13th you is can't. a political documentary. And right. Um, Corey and I, uh, you know, we, we have, we agree very much on this topic. Um, and we both have agreed, like, it's not a time to be silent. Um, you know, if you don't want to listen to us because we're, we are trying to be anti-racist, um, sorry. 
you know, uh, sorry, not sorry. Not like, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The, I... the, the world needs our country. Let's, I, I, I'm going to stop generalizing to the world. I can't, I don't know if the world does need to change. I'm sure it does, but our country has problems that we see. We see the problems and they are so solvable. Um, but it, it does, it takes some change. And, it, and uh, again, there's a lot of little concessions being made right now. Like mascots are being changed um, mainly from products, not so much from sports teams. Somehow the Redskins is still a thing, but um, uh, you know, Aunt Jemima is going to be gone. Um, okay. I, I like seeing the memes of people like, yeah, great. No, we didn't ask for any of that. Like we want to not be killed and not be put into jail because of, you know, the color of our skin. Like, let's start there. Then we can fix all the, the mascots. Let's start with the actual problems. So, you know, uh, I think this documentary, if you are still on, on the fence, if you don't know where you stand and you listen to this whole podcast and you're just like, man, I don't know. Watch this documentary, please. Um, it's, it's definitely worth your time. It's very engaging. And again, I know a lot of people are not huge fans of, um, docs uh it's it's a thing i run into all the time because i again i've only been watching docs actively for about five years and i still don't watch nearly as many as i think i should but like Corey has said on this uh, episode a lot of times people find documentaries in- instantly boring before they even give it a watch they're like oh documentary snooze button like they're they're out um this is one i think will win over even those people i think that i as far as like me with <laughs> documentaries i like more personal stories um Mm. i do want to talk about a couple of things in this one though really quick um that they were talking about how all of their leaders were taken away they were either murdered or uh what's the word excommunicated (laughs) they were like made to leave the country or they were put in prison and i thought that it was so powerful like when they were talking about Angela Davis, um, mm. such a badass. Like just For seeing sure. her like walk into that courtroom and then fist up, and then you know he's talking about her afro and like I didn't, I don't know a lot about her. One of her books is on my to read list. Um, I think it's women, uh, culture and class or something like that. I always get the words mixed up, but um that she like took on the system and she like had a you know i just found that very you know um and then she was at i can't remember i was seeing photos of her at a protest today and i can't remember what city it was in um but also when they were talking about khalif browder and I had read about him a little bit that he he was sent to Rikers Island when he was like really young and put into solitary confinement for two years. Mm-hmm. And then they showed all those videos. Those were him, right? Getting beat up. Yes. And fighting back. But yeah. Yeah. He's just a baby. Like. Well, and, and- he also, he points out um, that. I think the point of that story too is uh, for many reasons, but I think one of the points is that uh, being in jail turns you into something you maybe weren't before you got there. Um, that he starts fighting 
for survival and that gets him more time because there's like you know bad behavior and things like that so like just being in jail will you know it's not it's supposed to again the idea of jail was originally pitched as like rehabilitation it's no longer doing that it's actually turning you into a returning customer well and also that he was given a plea deal that they would send him right home if he just said that he was guilty but he said he wasn't guilty and he wasn't going to do that and i don't know how many people would do that and then that he ended up committing suicide at 22 um i can't imagine being in solitary confinement at all two years that's ridiculous and one of the videos was guards beating him up and they made a point of we don't even know who i don't know if it was in the documentary or something else that i was reading that they don't even know who they're hiring to like take these positions and there ends up being a lot of violence sometimes coming from them um and wasn't it over a bag he they were saying he supposedly stole i don't remember what the uh the charges were for and also it came it went back to that thing that they are I, okay, one of the things that I loved about this was every time they say it, said criminal, anyone said criminal, uh-huh. boom, up on the screen, boom, up on yep. the screen, um, because it has become such a normal part of the conversation, um, and that they were trying to give him, they they try to get you to say that you're guilty to things so that you'll get a lighter sentence than if you go to trial, and then you definitely are deemed a criminal at that point if you take the plea bargain where yeah because the question will always be well if you weren't guilty why did you take the plea bargain yeah well because three years sounded better than 30 yep yeah i think especially if, if you're being told that you can't win yeah oh well um i i think this is an obvious must see for me and Corey. 100% for me as well. Yeah. Um, so, listeners, uh, if you would like to keep up with us, um, you can follow us at BurkeReviews.com. Um, I am on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at BurkeReviews. Corey? At Corey, our star. Two hours on the end. And um, we would love if you like what we're doing and you're still listening and you don't hate us now, uh, that you rate and review the podcast. Of course, if you hate us and you want to rate and review the podcast, go for it. Um, make sure you put that you hate us for the reasons that you do so that they know the truth. But, um, regardless, it's all good. Uh, whatever reviews you want to give, be honest. I'm all for an honest review. Um, I don't expect a five-star review just because you took the time to review us, but what do you like? What do you don't? Um, we'd love to hear from you anyway. Uh, we have one more episode for The Truth is Out There, and it's a big one in terms of documentary and for me. Um, I am a big fan of watching directors work, and I'm a big uh, big fan of auteurs. Um, I like directors who have clear voices, and you can kind of um, tell their, their work just from the beginning of their movie even. Um, you know, Tarantino uh, arguably is a, a auteur. Spike Lee is definitely an auteur. Alfred Hitchcock is the first auteur. And there is one, there's a few auteur filmmakers who I've not dabbled into yet, but one in particular that I've been wanting to and just haven't is Warner Herzog. Um, and we are going to be watching his documentary, uh, Grizzly Man from 2005. It is available to watch on Amazon Prime. 
and apparently a few other uh tubi tv has it for free if you don't have prime um that does have commercials but nonetheless it's free um and of course you can rent it or buy it wherever you get digital movies uh grizzly man is a documentary about the, the grizzly man timothy treadwell and what the 13 summers in a national park in alaska were like in one man's attempt to protect the grizzly bears um of course it's it doesn't say it here but a major part of this documentary the reason why it's werner herzog's documentary and not timothy treadwell is because timothy treadwell died researching bears he was killed by a bear uh I don't feel like that's a spoiler. I feel like that's the whole premise of this movie and it's not in the uh, description there. But um, so it's kind of crazy. I've, I've always heard about this documentary. It's been on my my list for a long time and it made sense to uh, finally check it off. So next week we'll be talking about Grizzly Man. And uh, yeah, other than that, um, Corey, I hope you have a good rest of your week and I will catch up with you next week. Bye. You and too. listeners. Keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs>